This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Folks, if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way, you can run your business from anywhere and respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com kick to get $20 off your first month. Again, that's grasshopper.com slash kick. And now, enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. When Joseph Stalin, the man who ruled the Soviet Union with an iron fist for 33 years, had a stroke on March 2, 1953, there began a fierce fight for succession among his subordinates. They were desperate to maneuver themselves into prime position and ensure their rivals were disposed of before their great leader died or his successor was named. It was a two-day scramble for power that would see grown men overcome by madness, craven self-interest, and base inhumanity. These incredible but true events provide the inspiration for The Death of Stalin, a new movie by the reigning king of political satire and creator of BBC's The Thick of It and HBO's Veep, Armando Iannucci. Today I'll talk with Armando about mining one of Russia's darkest chapters for comedy, some of the absurd but true stories that make it into The Death of Stalin, and how finding ruthless authoritarians is sort of a family tradition for him. He discusses the unintended but perhaps valid comparisons audiences will inevitably draw with Donald Trump, why Russian officials think his movie is part of a Western plot to destabilize that country, and why the creator of Veep is finally ready to give politics a rest for a while. Then, following the break, I'll be joined by Steve Buscemi, who plays Nikita Khrushchev in the film, and Andrea Riceborough, who plays Svetlana Stalina. Andrea talks about the elusive relationship between the ruthless dictator and his daughter, some of her favorite British comedies, and what it was like to collaborate with a cast of comedy all-stars in The Death of Stalin. Steve Buscemi talks about playing the famous shoe-pounding Russian, how he says Khrushchev, Molotov, and Beria are more like Larry, Curly, and Moe. He recalls his own early career in stand-up and why he says his old AOL account is the best insurance against Russian hackers. Coming up with the cast and director of The Death of Stalin in just a moment. As the creator of the hit television series The Thick of It and HBO's Veep, Armando Iannucci has mined the White House and Downing Street for comedy, and now he's turned his sights on the Kremlin, writing, directing, and producing a film that's been the darling of the festival circuit. It's called The Death of Stalin. Armando, thanks for sitting down with me. Pleasure. Pleasure. I cannot tell you how much I love this movie. Oh, that's a good start. Right from the trailer, <laughs> I knew that I was going to just absolutely go nuts over this movie, okay. and it didn't disappoint oh, when that's, I finally that's saw good. the movie. It's a kind of interesting. Thing. You know, it's it's. I have to explain. It is a comedy, even though it's called The Death. Of, it's got <laughs> Stalin and Death in the title, yeah. um, um, which also tells you the story without too many spoilers. Um, but yeah, it's a comedy, but it's set in. You know, it deals with some big subjects as well you know it's mm-hmm. set in a time when there was a country and a, an entire empire was terrorized really 
Yeah, I mean, I have to give you credit. It's one thing to poke fun at the president or the prime minister, mm-hmm. but a whole other level mm-hmm. <laughs> to use as your source material, the most infamous sociopathic dictator <laughs> who sent millions either to their deaths or to gulags yeah. and say, hey, well, this could be funny. Well, it's, <laughs> what, it's what made a sort you of, think that there yeah. was comedic potential it's in It's a Stalin? comedy of anxiety, really. It's, yeah. it's, and, and, you know, when we, st- when we sat down day one of the production, I said to the team, look, we have to be very respectful of what actually happened to the people in the Soviet Union at the time. You know, we're not mining that for comedy. Mm -hmm. We have to be honest about what happened and show it for real and not try and hide it. The comedy is more the behavior of the politicians, the the inner circle in the Kremlin. Uh, And the comedy there is a comedy of of fear. It's it's everyone is in fear for their lives. Mm -hmm. And when you're... You know, when you think I may not get through the day alive, you start to behave differently, and and it's that it's that kind of behaviour that the the film is is trying to portray, really. Yeah, and you do a great job from the very start of the movie of creating that mood of fear and paranoia that permeated Stalin's Russia, the secret police pulling people out of their beds at midnight. Yeah children ratting out their parents, executions. It must have been a bit of a tightrope walk to satirize the dysfunction of Soviet mm-hmm. Russia without being accused of minimizing the horrors of the a- Stalin Absolutely, era. and you know, Russians who have seen the film, and that's Russian journalists as well as just you know R- Russian citizens, have said to me two things. They've said, it's funny and it's true. And in fact, one probably because of the other. And <laughs> what we did was, um, we we spent a lot of time trying to get it right. You know, we I went to Moscow. I looked around the Kremlin, Stalin's dacha, Stalin's bunker, which I never knew existed. Um, uh, the apartments that the the kind of the high party officials lived in. Get the look right, but actually talk to people who grew up under Stalin and said, what was it like? You know, someone told me, yeah, you went to bed at night wearing lots of layers of clothes, so that if you were dragged out of your room in the middle of the night and sent to the gulag. You had lots of clothing with you because you were wearing it, you know, and we put that in the film and and, and just get the details wow. absolutely right and find historical bits of information that we then base scenes on. Because I think in the end, the comedy arises out of the, it's the more true it is, strangely, the funnier and more terrifying it is at the same time. When you went to Russia to do your research, at any point did you think to yourself, this is probably the last time I'll ever be coming to Moscow? No, I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) No, I mean, it may well be because they've now banned the film, but um, uh, no, everyone was very accommodating and, you know, we were monitored, we were observed, we were followed, Mm -hmm. but, you know, no one was trying to pretend otherwise. But at the same time, they knew what we were doing and they knew what we were researching. Um, So, no, and I think it's sad that you know, two days before the release of the film in Russia, that someone within the Ministry of Culture decided to remove the license and, and mm. not show it. Because, you know, in this day and age, b- banning doesn't work. You know, people right. will see the film. So right. <laughs> so I don't quite know what they were, you know, expecting to achieve, really, by, by, by banning it from the cinemas. Yeah, I read that the Minister of Culture apparently alleged that your movie was part of, quote, a Western plot to destabilize Russia by causing rifts in society. Yes, and we know <laughs> how right? adamant Putin is that nobody from a foreign power interferes in the elections of another party so you know clearly that's crossing a line um well no and and 
one cinema in Moscow did decide to defy the ban and, and, oh, really? and screen it for three days. What and the audiences, <laughs> well, then the police turned up. But the audiences stood and applauded at the end of each screening because they said it's not um, making fun of the people. It's making fun mm. of the politicians. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not making fun of the people. And um, and there was a thing in, <laughs> there was an article in the Moscow Times last week that said that 60% of Russians now want to see the film because oh, wow. they've heard it's been banned, you know. <laughs> and, and that's what happens, you know, that's what happens. You know, you, 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 you spread the, you, you make more people aware of it by, by trying mm -hmm. to hide it. Uh, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that Vladimir Putin's about to stand for re-election. Well, this exactly, year. yes, and I suspect, and the election is pr pretty soon. I suspect once the election's out of the way, we may well quietly get a load back into the cinemas. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, so I think I think that is pretty much on on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is wildly ironic that you have these Russian officials accusing you of trying to create societal rifts yes. and destabilize Russia at the same time. And it's the language used by investigation. I, I know, but it's also the language used by people in the movie, you know, in yeah. the film. <laughs> Molotov is, goes on about talking about the party and the people and, mm -hmm. and how we must crush the opponents of the people, you know, and, 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 and this whole vocabulary that's being used now is so... I was called, someone in the Ministry of Culture called me a word that I'd never come across before, which was a pasquinade. I've never heard I know, that. I know. I had to look it what up. What does that mean? A pasquinade is someone from, um, uh, someone a little bit posh who goes around deriding other people. A pasquinade. <laughs> and it sounds like the sort of person who existed only in 18th century English novels. Yeah. But clearly I'm one of them. So, uh, yeah, you know. but, but that fits perfectly with the Putin line of attack where he's a man of the people. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You know, we're not the cognoscenti. Yeah. 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 And what was that word yeah. that, um, North Korea came, Kim used in North Korea calling Trump a dotard. It's those words that no one's come across before and suddenly yeah. they become currency. Yeah. Only, only, um, uh, autocrats use them. Yeah. I mean, between you and me, are you trying to destabilize Russia? Do you well, work for MI6? I, I mean, or confession. The CIA? Yes, I have to confess that the film was partly funded by the CIA <laughs> and um, who gave us some quite good notes on yeah, some of the comedy. Sure. Um, no, uh, it's not. It, as I said, you know, we we started off saying, look, this story is true. It's it's mm -hmm. funny. It's appalling. It's uh, absurd, farcical, but terrifying. Mm -hmm. But it's true, and therefore. You know, we're not out to laugh at the misfortune of an entire country and its people. That's not what this film is about. This film is about what happens when a tyrant or an ideology goes out of control mm -hmm. and, and curtails freedom to move or to think and, and the absurdity that creates. Yeah, I mean, the timing of this couldn't be more mm -hmm. perfect, you know, with the rise of autocrats like Erdogan in mm -hmm. Turkey, Putin, of course, Trump saying that he wants to throw a May Day style military parade. Yes. And, and also jokingly saying the idea oh, of, right. of being president for life might not be, you know, yeah. and <laughs> and it may be a joke now, but, you know, the, the, the technique these people have is just to say it again and again mm -hmm. and again until you get bored of them saying it right. and then you stop hearing yeah. it. Yeah. Because you're just not registering anymore. You know, he was the one who disputed the number of people that was at his inauguration. <laughs> he was the one who disputed whether he lost the popular vote and who set up his own electoral commission to look into voter fraud because he was convinced 
that the number of people that the the the, the, the voted for Hillary Clinton that more than than he did were all you know illegal. Yeah, and then had to quietly disband that electoral commission right. when they came up with no evidence <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, there was no press release on that. No, there was none. <laughs> you know, you know that wasn't fake yeah. news. That was just non-news. The way they managed that. So you know these things. You know we can laugh at them and we can smile at the recognition of them, but they're frightening. Mm -hmm. It's a frightening. You know. Within two days of him becoming president, he tweeted that CNN and NBC were enemies of the people. Now, enemies of the people is a Stalin phrase. Yeah. It's a phrase Stalin used again and again. And when Khrushchev took over, he banned the phrase enemy of the people because oh, it was really? associated with Stalin. Wow. Yeah. I have to think that this is on some level personal for you because I read that I guess apparently your father fought against Mussolini yeah, get it right. Not and with the fascists Mussol during yes, World yes, War yes, II. Yes, he was an anti-fascist. He, so he, at a very this is young something age, you've probably been thinking about this yeah. been on your mind for a long time. At an, a young age, age 16, 17, he wow. wrote he wrote for an anti-fascist newspaper, okay. and then at the outbreak of the Second World War, he became a partisan and fought against uh, the fascists. Um, and I remember him saying, you know, when he after the war went to the UK but he never took out British citizenship mm -hmm. so he couldn't vote in elections mm -hmm. and I said to him why you know why don't you take out you know you you fought for democracy why and he said ah yeah. democracy the last election I remember Mussolini got in and that was his way of saying <laughs> look don't think because you have a democracy yeah. that it's perfect and that it's immutable you know it's not it's it, democracy is all about it can change mm -hmm. you know and Hitler got in on a plebiscite. Uh, right. uh, so, and we've, you know, we see now people who you get in and then change the constitution. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to get them out. When I showed the film in uh, the Sundance Festival, uh, someone came up to me afterwards and she said she was from Zimbabwe. And she said, this story oh, has yeah. just happened in Mugabe. my country. Yeah. You know, Mugabe, who just refused to go. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happens when leaders become autocrats when they amass power and centralized power so that nothing can happen mm. uh, without their say so it soon dawns on them that they've made lots of enemies and that the moment they are not yeah. in power they will be destroyed yeah. so they say that's therefore i have to stay in power forever that's what i was just going to say is it more about the power or is it a matter of self-preservation well because it's a, it's you, a yeah. once you're once you're gone there's nothing to protect you from being drugged into the courts on I know, and at some and, and point, sooner or charges. later, Trump yeah. will realize when he's no longer president that his immunity <laughs> is gone. Yeah. So <laughs> when that kind of thought strikes him, you know, oh, no doubt he'll try and do something about it. And I know that you started this film before the election of Donald Trump, but mm -hmm. I, I have to wonder, have you encountered a lot of people who think that this is some kind of a direct commentary on the Trump presidency? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I, do, I don't mind that because the reason I made the film was, you know, hasn't changed, which is something strange is happening in democracy. And, mm -hmm. you know, democracy can be abused um, as well as um, growing frail at the edges you know so one has to be careful one has to be constantly monitoring it and 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 defending democracy and participating in it that's the mm. great thing part of the reason i want to make this film was because i was conscious of the fact in the uk and i know in the us you know the number of people taking part in elections has been going down and down and people not registering yeah. to vote because people are feeling well, it doesn't make any difference, does yeah. it? I mean, it doesn't make... And in the last, you know, two years, people have now woken up after elections going, 
oh, I see, it does make a difference. Yeah. You know, so that's, hopefully that will galvanize people to, to, to participate in bigger numbers again. Um, but yes, no, I, I'm quite happy for people to see parallels <laughs> between what's in the film and, and, and what's happening now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to imagine substituting Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, Anthony Scaramucci for <laughs> Molotov yeah, and Khrushchev. Yeah. And, and, and there are kind of there are gang of criminals. There's dialogue in the film. You know, Beria talks about, oh, no, no, that's a, that's a, was that false narrative, <laughs> which is the same as fake news, isn't yeah, it? You know, yeah. and people talk about uh, we're in a new reality now, which is the same as like alternative facts. You know, yeah. it's 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 people being told to unthink what they've just thought <laughs> yeah. and think something completely different now and yeah. believe it as vehemently as they believed whatever it was that they no longer can think. God, the similarities are just. <laughs> I mean, there's a big committee it's hard meeting. To even take yeah, there's in. a committee meeting in the film in which they're all trying to second guess Stalin, and yeah. and every vote has to be unanimous. And if you're the one hand <laughs> that isn't unanimous, you might be taken out and shot. But no one quite knows <laughs> what whether to go yes or no. So yeah. they're all looking at each other before the fight. And it just reminded me of that first cabinet meeting Trump had oh, with the yes. cameras. He, he he kind of made every cabinet member <laughs> say how good he was, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> for the cameras and it was it was horrible to watch yeah. because i knew there was a f scene in the film just like this <laughs> that yeah. no one obviously the public hadn't seen yet and i was just thinking oh my god it's happening it's happening yeah so much of the comedy in this movie comes from the backbiting and ineptness and confusion of these men in stalin's inner circle following his death mm. listeners probably know stalin and maybe mm. khrushchev but briefly reintroduce us to the extended rogues gallery that was right stalin well the, the chief time. villain as it were is beria lavrenti beria who was head of the security forces the kind of head of the NKVD, which was, mm -hmm. the, but then became the KGB. Right. And he was Stalin's number two henchman, drew up all the lists of people to be shot, to be taken to prison, did a lot of torturing himself, did it for about 20 years. But the moment Stalin died, amazingly overnight turned into the reformer, wanted to release prisoners, <laughs> wanted right. to kind of open things up. I think because he knew that was the only way he would survive if he became yeah. the kind of Mr. Popular. Yeah. Um and, and we don't have in the West this idea of who Beria is. So he's played by Simon Russell Beale, who is famous <laughs> in, in 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 the UK as a stage actor, but hasn't done many movies. Because I like that idea of someone completely new for the role. And then you've got Michael Palin playing um Molotov, who was the Russian sort of foreign minister, the sort of secretary yeah. of state. Um, who's such a dogmatic, you know, he will rigidly adhere to the party line, irrespective of what the party line is. So, you know, if one day they said black is black, he would agree black is black. But if the next day they said black is white, he would agree black is white. You know, whatever it is that Stalin says, he will yeah. believe in. Well, isn't he on a list to be to be executed? He's on and a list, he, And yeah. he doesn't take issue with the list because he's that He instantly thinks, initially. oh my God, I must have done something terrible to Stalin <laughs> to be on that list. But also he quite happily had his wife taken away because yeah. she was on a list. So she, yeah. he thinks, oh, she must have done something terrible. That is genius level brainwashing. I know right it's there. a kind of, and Molotov has this big speech in the middle of the film where you could see this kind of, chaotic logic swirling around in his brain not quite knowing which way to how to make sense of the world well i was amazed to read that so many of these completely absurd moments mm. in the film 
were actually based on, as you mentioned a moment ago, things that really happened in the aftermath of Stalin's death. What was the craziest one for you that was oh, actually true? Yeah, the crazy is, um, well, when they actually turned up and saw him, I mean, Stalin so terrified his guards and said that he must never be interrupted, that when the guards heard him <laughs> fall over with a stroke, they were too scared to knock on the door and see if he was all right. So he was left <laughs> lying there all through the night and into the next day. When the um, all the party members, the senior party figures arrived, they debated for hours whether to call a doctor and which doctor to call because Stalin had put a lot of doctors on his lists he was convinced that they were trying to poison him. So he was about to purge all the doctors. So they were scared to get yeah. the wrong doctor in case somehow Stalin yeah. found out about it. And and that's all true. And yeah. it's just And there weren't any good doctors left by that point. No, all the good doctors <laughs> have been taken away. So ones. by definition, anyone they called would have been a bad doctor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then they get into the debate, you know, whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. And, yeah. you know, what happens if Stalin recovers but finds out they got a bad doctor, you know, would it be better for him to just die? That, yeah, you know. I mean, there is a bit of poetic justice there. Yes. <laughs> Stalin's he, the victim of the things that he instituted. That's right. He, it was his reign of terror that in the end killed him. Yeah. Because people were too <laughs> terrified to do anything about it. <laughs> now, how did you go about recreating Russia in London? Because you couldn't shoot this in Russia. <laughs> no, but I went to Russia and we yeah. went to the original locations. We went to Stalin's Dacha. We went to the Kremlin. We went mm -hmm. to the apartments. We went to, I wanted to see what old Russia, old Moscow looked like. We spoke to people who grew up under that era and told us stories of, you know, the gulags and, and, and you know, all sorts of... And we tried to amass as many details, not just historic details, but visual details. And, and then we carefully went round London and, and the outskirts of London to find buildings that would give us as much as possible what we were looking for. And then we had a great um, um, art department and costume department and makeup to really source as as much as possible, the most authentic look. So it wasn't a Hollywood version of Moscow. It was trying as much as possible. And one of the nicest compliments we got given is Russians who've seen the film saying, where in Moscow did you film this? Oh, no kidding. And, yeah, and I had to say, <laughs> we didn't. We shot it in London. They went, really? Because I could have sworn that was such and such, you know. And and, and so that was, that was heartening to, yeah. to find out that we got it right because yeah, I wanted... Great. It's what I was saying earlier. I want to get the detail right because that's how we can tell this story and make it funny and yet terrifying mm -hmm. at the same time because both aspects are based on on the truth of what happened. So now that you've gone from Downing Street to the White House yes. to this dictator who murdered more people than Hitler, where can you go from there? Do you feel that you've exhausted politics for a I little while I think I'm now? giving politics a, a bit of a skip. I mean, it's yeah. uh, and the present day as well. Present day is any attempt to fictionalize what's happening just now is just doomed to failure. <laughs> I think. So I'm doing, I mean, two things. I'm going even further back in time for my next film, which is Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, which is set in 1840. Oh. And I'm also doing a new show for HBO that's set in the future, set in about 30 or 40 years' time really? in the world of space tourism. Oh, interesting. So, yes. Oh, so that's funny. I seem to be kind of vacating the present for, <laughs> temporarily. Uh, is there a Richard Branson or an Elon Musk character in the well, fold for that? Well, looking at that kind of... Um, I mean, interesting, I visited both of those places. I, virg oh, yeah. I visited Virgin Galactic and, 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 and SpaceX and... Uh, and really fascinating to see. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a space nut anyway. I love yeah. sci-fi and I love, 
real, you know, all the Apollo missions and, and the, you know, satellites. And I follow all them. I went to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and it was great being in mission control and just wanting, watching yeah. the te- tele- telemetry from the Voyager 1 still coming in. And so, so I'm a bit of a... <laughs> That's but, a fun um, toy to play with. Uh, but I want to kind of... It's not a satire on them. Mm. It's more just trying to speculate where we might be yeah. in 40 years' time. Huh. Just really to come up with a new... It's a kind of character driven uh project really it's just people just just trying to get on with each other because they have to you know put up with each other for a extended period of time yeah well before we go with the rise of authoritarianism all around the world what do you want people to take away from this movie um i I mean i want them to uh, enjoy it i want them to find it funny i want them to hopefully feel a little bit anxious as they watch it and i want them to feel this is relevant that actually don't think Oh, those days are behind us now. Be aware that, you know, d- this can happen. And so one has to always be on the lookout for it and, and do something about it before it happens. Are you afraid for your life? Uh, not for my life, no. No? No, no, okay. no. <laughs> Rice and poisoning or something like that. Okay. No, no, no. I think they've got bigger fish to poison um (laughs) (laughs) okay you're a braver man than i am armando iannucci thanks so much for talking with me pleasure thank you we're going to take a quick break and then when we return i'll talk with two of the stars of the death of stalin andrea riceborough and steve buscemi when we come back in just a minute We read their names in Bloomberg Business, find bits of their wisdom in the Wall Street Journal, and hear them talk about any number of tech and business-related podcasts. But sometimes it's hard to know what Silicon Valley executives are really thinking, what they find inspiring, challenging, interesting, how they see things changing in Silicon Valley right now, what keeps them up at night, and what they're excited about in tech, leadership, and on TV, of course. In the VMware Executive Perspectives podcast series, you'll hear from people like CIO Basque Iyer discuss everything from fostering disruption within an organization to his reverence for Les Paul, inventor of the electric guitar. Wonder what gets a VMware VP out of bed each morning? Or what shows our tech leaders can't stop watching? Get a glimpse into the minds operating on the front lines of digital transformation. Tune in to the VMware Executive Perspective podcast series at vmware.com slash radius slash perspective. That's vmware.com slash radius slash perspective. Looking to move to the cloud? Don't know where to begin? Check out the Google Cloud Platform weekly podcast where Google developer advocates Melanie Warwick and Mark Mandel answer questions, get in the weeds, and talk to GCP teams, customers, and partners about best practices. From security to machine learning and more, hear from technologists all across Google about trends and cool things happening with our technology. Click to learn more and subscribe to the podcast at g.co slash gcppodcast. Again, that's g.co slash gcppodcast. Hulu's newest original series, The Looming Tower, is based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Lawrence Wright. This limited series traces the rising threat of Osama bin Laden and the rivalry between the FBI and CIA that may have set a path for the tragedy of 9-11. Starring Emmy winner Jeff Daniels, Golden Globe nominee Peter Sarsgaard, and Tahar Rahim as Ali Soufan. The Looming Tower, available now only on Hulu. 
In The Death of Stalin, Steve Buscemi plays a pre-shoe-pounding Nikita Khrushchev, and Andrea Riceboro plays Stalin's slightly frantic daughter, Svetlana. Steve and Andrea, I loved these performances. Thank you for this movie. Thank you Thank for you. watching. Thanks for watching. Um, were you both relieved when Armando told you that you don't have to do a thick Russian accent for this film? That was actually written in the script. Oh, and, it was? Yeah, like... Um, there was like kind of like an introduction, you know, uh, before you got to the screenplay, like a note saying that the actors would not be asked to do a Russian accent, and um, uh, and that was a great relief, yeah, because <laughs> I, I don't know that I could have done the film if I was, you know, also required to do an accent. For for me, I um I haven't actually played a character in my own voice ever so um oh really that wasn't something that would have put me <laughs> off but uh but i thought it was far more interesting and more dynamic that we were all from different places and didn't affect some kind of russian mm -hmm. accent because also we're talking about the soviet union we're not talking about russia so right uh, you know the people from True. as we were talking about last night there's people from belarus and from from all over the soviet union and and there's such different accents and stalin himself was from georgia he wasn't actually right. russian so it wouldn't have even True been coherent or, or sort of historically accurate yeah. to try and affect one and anyway. I think Khrushchev was from Crimea, right? That, wasn't he from Ukraine originally? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, it does work, especially with a comedy. It kind of reminds me of the hours where if you don't try to do the accent, it gives you a lot more places you can go comedically. You're part of a top-notch comedic ensemble in this movie, and there's so many moments in this movie that just seemed like they could not have happened any other way than organically in the moment. Was there a lot of improvising on set? There was some, but it, it, but it really was scripted, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but Armando, you know, he liked to give the actors the freedom to um, bring stuff. Uh, and, um, yeah, just the way the whole dynamic uh, of these relationships um, and at Armando's encouragement, especially when we were doing the scene where, you know, Khrushchev is, is uh, um, telling Svetlana that no harm would uh, come to her. <laughs> yes. That was pretty much improvised. Like That at, was. You know, oh, and was we carried really? that on. We then carried that on throughout the film, which didn't necessarily make it in the whole cut, but that was something, that was a kind of a running joke that we... Yeah, I mean, it was scripted. I can't remember how it was scripted, but, you know, when Armando was watching us re rehearse, he says, yeah, you know, just more of that. You know, more of that, of, you know, <laughs> where you don't want to say the word and, and you get, and every time you hear the word, you, you yeah. and so that just sort of happened organically. You know? uh, that's funny because that's probably literally my favorite scene in the movie where, oh, where you as Khrushchev are trying to reassure her that right. now that her father's died, saying, uh, you know, I'll protect you, you'll be safe. And it does the opposite of reassurance. Well, the writing's on the yeah. wall. If, if you're being reassured by Khrushchev, <laughs> you're not in a great situation. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just first, I mean, straight off, straight yeah. off, you're fucked. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel like, Steve, I saw some Buster Keaton and maybe some Marx Brothers in this movie. Uh, who were some of the comedic inspirations you were drawing on while making the film? Well, you know, last night we had a screening um, for Steve Farber, who um, teaches a class, and um, it was for his students. And one of his, uh, and a lot of them are, um, not young students. These are just um, student to film of all ages. And this one gentleman said that uh, he wasn't expecting this Three Stooges uh, element <laughs> yeah. to the film. Yeah. 
and was asking us, you know, how, how conscious was that? And then I kind of looked around at everybody and I realized, I'm the only American up here. Do you, do you know the Three Stooges? <laughs> yes. You do? Okay. I do, but I'm like a weird geek in yeah, that way. Okay. You know so, what I mean? Yeah. But I love the Three Stooges. And so it wasn't conscious on my part. But today I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is Khrushchev's journey. He starts out as curly. <laughs> and, and, and ends up as Mo. You know, it's, it kind of is perfect, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is more Three Stooges than Marx Brothers, I think. Yeah. Um, especially when they're trying to move the body of, of yeah, Stalin. Yeah. The, but it's also Marx Brothers. Yeah. It's all and Buster yeah. Keaton. And there, there is a lot of you know. I mean, yeah. I think Armando is a student of uh, mm-hmm. co- comedy, mm-hmm. and he knows you know he knows all all of these uh, re- references. And um, but his thing was. For us to really, you know, keep it keep it real, mm-hmm. you know, and get to the truth of it, but knowing that the truth is, you know, sometimes absurd and therefore is funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And didn't you actually start out as a stand-up comic originally before you went into acting? I or did. Around the same time? I tried it, but I was very young. I was like yeah. 19 and, you know, I had no life experience. <laughs> and I, you know, okay. Oh, that's always good for Boy, yeah. well, isn't math homework hard? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've always been interested in com- mm-hmm. comedy. I've always been interested in, um, you know, films that have a comedic element to it, even when they're, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, who does it? You know, I mean, the, the, the Coen brothers are sort of like, the, right. you know, but Armando too. I mean, uh, the work he did on Veep and In the Loop and and I think in all of his work, there's just this strong com- comedic sense, but mm-hmm. there's always this um, uh, dr- dramatic tr- truth to it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and I noticed that you have a lot of stand-up comics on your talk show also. On Park Bench. Park Bench, yeah, Park Bench. You've seen Park Bench. I'm, yes. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I still have an AOL <laughs> account, believe it or not. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, absolutely. Um, do you find stand-up was uh, a lot harder than acting when you were still doing that? I think stand-up is one of the hardest things you can mm-hmm. do, um, and I think that's ultimately why I stopped doing it because I like actors. I like, mm-hmm. you know, I like being in a scene. I, I yeah. like the give and take. Um, yeah, you can't play off a room full of strangers very easily. Well, some <laughs> comics no can. I mean, there. some comedians. Yeah. I mean, that's their forte. Like mm-hmm. they, they, you know. But I, I just could never find my my voice. Mm-hmm. You know, through. Being a being a stand-up, but through acting and through working with wonderful other actors, that's so much more uh, creatively satisfying. And Andrea, the film definitely has a certain British, dry, slightly dark wit to it. What kind of comics did you like when you were growing up in Britain? Were you a Benny Hill or Mr. Bean? Monty Python, Stephen Fry kind of person? Certainly not Benny Hill. I mean, I think <laughs> okay. we can... I mean, I guess that predates you, doesn't it? God love him, but I think we can scratch him off the list. Um, Benny Hill would not fit in very well in this environment today, probably. Oh, you think not? You think... You've noticed that, have you? <laughs> That's, I'm glad you've noticed. Um, yes, no, deeply inappropriate. Uh, but I think uh, Ronnie Barker was a huge influence on me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Uh, and... Um, you know, that, that whole school, David Jason and the, the Pythons. And, of course, we have a Python in this film, which is... Right. We have a live one. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually on the set. Um, Peter Sellers was a huge influence oh, uh, yeah. growing up. Again, not sure I'd like to date him or anything, you know what I mean, in real life, <laughs> or even be his friend. But I, but I certainly yeah. d- d- deeply admired his, his work. Um, and 
and I just very much drawn to uh, because one of the things I love as, as an actor is is the physical component of it, which is not something conscious particularly, but I like to act with my with my whole body, and I feel like all of those actors did that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always very drawn to that. I saw it less, sadly. I saw it less with women. I think women were given less opportunities then to be anything right. other than hypersexualized. They didn't want to give women opportunities for physical comedy, I guess. God Maybe forbid. That was, I mean, yeah, that was not ladylike, I guess. We I don't might know, except for take Lucy. out our tampons yeah. and start a rally. They didn't know what we would do if they gave us that kind of power. God forbid we should be funny. Well, I, I love the franticness of your character as Svetlana Stalin in this movie. Was it difficult to strike the perfect comedic tone in a woman whose whole world seems to be crashing around her? I think essentially when you when you know when you. The, the really fascinating thing about this film is that so much of it's truth. Mm -hmm. Certainly we improvised around that and we had this biblical doorstop sort of um, manuscript of fact that uh, Armando's team had compiled, which oh, was really? fantastic. And mm -hmm. I had a book about, specifically about Svetlana Stalin, which Rosemary Sullivan had written. So lots of material to get into. And the great thing about having it all in the back of your head is that when you're you know, improvising political satire, it's... Uh, it's quite fun to pull out a few of those things. Some of them, though, yeah. sounded so unbelievable that they aren't included because some of the the facts are so ridiculous, tragic, sad, hysterical, you know. Um, they would be too over the top to be yeah. believed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, did, did you do a lot of research for this character? Yeah, I mean, just it's something I really enjoy, mm -hmm. uh, part of the job that I really enjoy, research. And especially when you're playing somebody who existed... And you feel almost, well, more than almost, you feel a responsibility to, you know, reflect them as, as accurately and authentically as you can. But every scene that I was playing, and Steve and I have talked about this a, a lot, but from the inside, you know, looking on in, it looks like we might be trying to strike a balance. But from the inside, we're really just trying to, to be authentic, I think. Mm -hmm. And the comedy comes from being absolutely truth, truthful about the situation, how ridiculous and, uh, uh, you know, tragic and, mm -hmm. and dark and hilarious the situations were. Yeah, and it must be difficult in some ways because the relationship between Stalin and his daughter has always historically kind of been elusive. You know, I think it's hard for us to wrap our head around the idea that here you have this monster who murdered millions of people and yet he was also this loving father who had this daughter he was close to who adored him and mm -hmm. doted over him. Uh, did you gain any insight into that relationship when you were researching and preparing for I this? think in terms of Svetlana, I don't think she ever came to peace with that. And I'm, I'm not sure, hmm. I, I'm not sure you can as a human being come to peace with a father who's, you know, uh, exercises his tyranny in such a way, but also is doting and, and, and upon whom you dote. Yeah. But I do think that there's really interesting... Uh, sort of lesson to be learned that I felt was interesting for me is rather than finger pointing and uh, you know eradicating those who do behave in unacceptable and tyrannical ways really trying to understand why it's happening mm -hmm. because there was this brutality uh, and sort of faceless approach that Stalin took to leadership uh, and and then the citizens of his country that he, you know, sent to death, basically. Mm -hmm. And then also this loving 
this loving side of him. So I, th so I think yeah. it just it made me think, hard a, to reconcile. think a lot about understanding the man behind, mm -hmm. you know, the figurehead behind the, the regime. You know, I always think of that sort of thing when I think of Hitler. Apparently Hitler loved dogs, and it's just weird to think the most evil man in the world really loves dogs to the point that he had all this weirdly pro-animal rights, progressive legislation in Nazi Germany, and yet he's a monster. Personally, I think what Stalin did, you know, I think it's really dangerous to sort of put, us, put ourselves as humans up on a pedestal and say that that was inhuman. It seems right. like the most human thing in the world because it happens over and over again historically. Mm -hmm. What he did was monstrous and very human. Yeah. And um, I think that's the really, I think that's what's so wonderful about this piece is that is Armando always comes from um, a place of gravity, you know, and the levity is is then just really the telling of the story. Mm -hmm. and. And not really, sometimes you don't even know what else to do but respond with laughter. Yeah. Because it is so ridiculous mm -hmm. and so sad. And people, you know, it's, and it's costing millions of lives. It's not, yeah. it's not light subject matter in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's as much a part of humanity as anything. I mean, it's interesting how people want to dismiss a Hitler or a Stalin as a madman rather than acknowledge that people can really be that evil. Perfectly rational people can be perfectly evil. And, and no one is, can accomplish those things on their own. There's mm -hmm. people that have True. to, mm -hmm. a True. lot of people that have to <laughs> it be. It takes a lot of complicity. Yeah. Complicit, yes. Um, and that's the thing. You yeah. know, it's how far can this go before, you know, somebody says, stop. Yeah. Um, and it can go pretty far. Yeah. I have a feeling that I, somewhere I've read that Svetlana actually ended up in Wisconsin. Do you know she if that's did, true? Yeah, yeah she really? did. Yeah, she, she, that she, is bizarre to imagine. Sad. She sort of had a, a lonely end to her mm -hmm. life. Uh, and, and she really, I think, tried to separate herself from her, from her surname, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and tried to for, forge her own life, but really never quite could. And Steve, I have to wonder what you thought when you got this script, because, you know, when most Americans think of Khrushchev, they're thinking Khrushchev in the 60s, heavy set, bald, yeah. banging a shoe on a podium. When your agent said that someone wanted to offer you the role of Khrushchev, did you think it was an accident at first or something? Well, it was, I mean, first of all, I knew that it came from Armando. Mm -hmm. So that was, so that was interesting. And I thought, all right, if he thinks I can do it, then, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't think I could. I mean, I was... Um, yeah, because he's such a an iconic figure in the Cold War, and and uh, if any if Americans do remember him, it's from you know it's from the '60s, not mm -hmm. not from the '50s, uh, and that's you know. So Armando talked to me about that and said, you know, you, you know, this is uh, Khrushchev of 1953. Don't think of him as this iconic guy, and don't worry about the physical thing. I mean. We'll approximate it, and um, but I'm not going to have you in makeup for mm -hmm. you know three hours a day because we don't have the time and uh, we can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he made me relax about that. And once I saw, you know, did some some of my own re research on him, and also just what was in the script, he was a fascinating character. Mm -hmm. You know, one that was underestimated. You know, people didn't think that yeah. he would be the one to sort of rise to the top. I don't think he thought it of, him, of himself, mm. um, but he just found that he did not want Beria, um, who was, you know, the sadistic, 
predator at uh, Stalin's side. He just could not abide this guy taking over. He didn't trust Malenkov, who was the other one that was in line to take over, because he just didn't think he had it in him. And he wanted, you know, the guys that he knew that were his mentors on the on the Politburo, you know, they saw something in him like, well, you're the one that's kind of organizing and doing this, mm-hmm. you know. And then when his own life became at stake, you know, then when it became a matter of survival, he was he he was the one that I guess he had more in him that uh, than he, uh, he thought, and uh, mm-hmm. he came through. It does seem like no one's more surprised by the ascension of Khrushchev than Khrushchev in this movie, right? Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of surprise, I have to wonder. There there is a distinct Steve Buscemi flummoxed look that you're kind of known for. We really? see it all, several times in this movie. Listeners will Repeating instantly know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you know where or when you came up with the Buscemi reaction? I, I really don't know what you're talking about. I don't know really? what that means. Yeah, You're kidding. I'm not kidding. You have a look that I, that I see many times in movies just when you're surprised by something. When someone says something that is just, to you, mentally so off-kilter and yeah. just <laughs> to you that you have a tough, a tough time wrapping your head around it for a uh-huh. moment, perhaps. Your eyes start to narrow and you, you, you kind of lean back a little bit. You have no idea what I'm talking about. I know I, the listeners know what I'm talking about. You have a signature move, even if you don't think you do. Okay. <laughs> Well, that, I'm sorry that I do. <laughs> no, it's great. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Well, before we go, I wonder, since you guys made this movie, have either of you been targeted by Russian internet trolls yet? Uh, no. Um, no. No. Is the answer to that. I'll tell you a secret. Uh, I'm also still on AOL. So uh. they'll never find me. Uh. I'm hiding in plain sight. I, I told uh, 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 an actor I just worked with, uh, I gave him my email and I said, yeah, I'm still on a- a- AOL. And I was kind of embarrassed. He says, no, no, that's, he says, that's good because uh-huh. you'll never be hacked because people don't care. <laughs> they don't even think to like hack that. So. That's so true. Hopefully I'm safe. Yeah. Well, once again, The Death of Stalin comes out in theaters Friday, March 9th. Andrea Riceborough and Steve Buscemi, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. Thanks again to Andrea Riceboro, Steve Buscemi, and Armando Iannucci for coming on the podcast. See The Death of Stalin in theaters beginning tomorrow, March 9th. For more information, visit deathofstalin.co.uk. Hulu just released a new original, The Looming Tower, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Lawrence Wright. This limited series traces the rising threat of Osama bin Laden and how the rivalry between the FBI and CIA may have set a path for the tragedy of 9-11. The Looming Tower is available now only on Hulu. We read their quotes in Bloomberg Business and hear them talk about any number of tech and business-related podcasts, but sometimes it's hard to know what Silicon Valley executives are really thinking. Wonder what gets VMware CIO Basque Iyer out of bed each morning? Or what show its senior VP of sales can't stop watching? Tune in to the VMware Executive Perspective podcast series at vmware.com slash radius slash perspective to hear the whole story. Again, that's vmware.com slash radius slash perspective. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. 
You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.